Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Janice from Warner Brothers Discovery. If you're looking for a little extra peace of mind, you might want to check out Simply Safe. Simply Safe was kind enough to send me a home protection system to try out, and I couldn't believe how easy it was to set up. Not only that, I'm kind of a gear nerd, and I was really impressed by how clear the camera was. I also love the smart lock keyless entry because there are a lot of things to remember each day, and my keys aren't always on that list, okay? Not only that, Simply Safe offers a 60 day money back guarantee, and US News and World Report awarded them the best home security systems of 2024. Simply Safe has given me and many of our listeners real peace of mind, and I want you to have that too. Right now, get 20% off any new Simply Safe system with fast protect monitoring at simplysafe.com/slash mind of a monster. There's no safe like Simply Safe. This podcast explores themes of murder and rape. Listener discretion is advised. Los Angeles police have been searching for a killer who has strangled young women and left their bodies along grassy hillsides. We've had yet another uh, set of remains identified. This is the second one that's taken place in the last several weeks. God forbid you go to trial and you've got a pathological liar as a key witness. That was the only time in my entire career that I saw reporters weeping in the courtroom. From 1977 to 1985, Los Angeles became the center of two of the most notorious, vicious, and devastating serial killer investigations in U.S. history. The period saw 25 murders, five attempted murders, an unknown number of sexual assaults, in an entire city in a state of terror. I'm criminal psychologist Dr. Michelle Ward, and this is the final episode of Mind of a Monster, The Hillside Strangler and the Night Stalker. Episode 6, Killers on Trial. It's Saturday, August 31st, 1985. As dawn breaks, newsstands across California are filled with daily papers. All have an old mugshot of a man on the cover. The man who has terrorized the state for the past few months. The so-called Night Stalker. At the same time, a bus rolls into East L.A. from Arizona, and Richard Ramirez steps off. He's oblivious to the breaking news, and he makes his way into a convenience store. Quickly, a group of elderly Hispanic women start to whisper El Matador, meaning killer. Ramirez glances down and sees his own mugshot staring back at him from across the newsstands. Glenn Martin is the author of Satan's Summer in the City of Angels and was a beat cop at the time. It went onto the front page of the daily papers here in Los Angeles. 
onto the, the news, into everybody's living room. He fled into the neighborhoods of East Los Angeles where he tried to steal a car. This was a, a 60 Zero Mustang that uh, I believe father and son that were working on uh, in the driveway or in the yard or whatever. And Ramirez literally tried to steal off the jacks from in front of the, the father and son. And the neighbors responded to that. Ramirez proceeded down the street and tried to steal a car from pregnant woman. And that's really where the crowd started. Uh, husband of the pregnant woman came to her aid. And this is really where the neighbors and uh, the community members in that uh, in that particular neighborhood descended upon Ramirez and ultimately were able to hold him until a sheriff's deputy responded, initially took him into custody. And then an LAPD unit came and put Ramirez in their car and took him over to Hollenbeck Station, which is our police station in the eastern part of Los Angeles. So Ramirez was taken into custody. A huge crowd assembled outside our station, really looking for some kind of immediate justice uh, at that point. Ken Davis was a reporter for NBC at the time. Shortly after 8 a.m., police were called over a disturbance in the area with few details, but they were told there was a fight. That's where they found Ramirez severely beaten, unarmed, and took him into custody. I was inside the Channel 5 newsroom at the time, and my contact to the LAPD called me. I knew I had to get this information out, but I was nervous to interrupt programming, because if I was wrong, I'd be in big trouble. I called the news director at home to run it by him. Fortunately, he trusted my judgment and I broke into programming where we were the first to announce that the Night Stalker had indeed been captured. It's the crescendo of a story that had played out for eight years, an era that had seen at least 25 people's lives snatched from them by Kenneth Bianchi, Angelo Bono, and Richard Ramirez. Let's go back to the Hillside Strangler investigation. In 1979, Kenneth Bianchi's arrest in Bellingham and subsequent attempt to plead insanity had been big news. In the first couple of episodes, you met Dr. Lois Lee, who knew a number of the women murdered or caught up in the horror of the Hillside Strangler killings. I want to know what she thought when Bianchi was arrested. He was exactly what I expected. Someone who could pass in the larger society, who could pass among girls in their 20s and stuff. A guy who could play many roles. Yeah, he was exactly what I expected. Both of these guys were scammers, meaning they were con men. They would create illusions of things that were not true. I think Bianchi told girls he was going to make them a model or an actress and had no ability to do that whatsoever, but he would pose. Bianchi also had a fake degree, and he pretended to be a psychologist so people would come in and tell him their problems. He had a security guard outfit where he pretended to be a police officer. He had lots of different M.O.s that he would use in order to lure girls. In the last episode, we learned that when Bianchi's insanity defense failed, he resorted to a plea deal. But that didn't stop him from trying to manipulate his way out of trouble. Angela Luke first met Bianchi when he interviewed her for a job in Bellingham and then sent her and her friend flowers at Christmas. In early 1979, she is shocked by his arrest and believes him to be innocent. He writes to her from jail to try to get her to give him an alibi. Did you ever go to see him while he was in jail? I did go see him once. And back in the day, it was on the top of the courthouse. It was a really small, small jail. And so you have, I think it was glass between us and a telephone. Yeah, it was a glass and a telephone. I remember the one time he said, if it was only like a Perry Mason show, 
where you know the the real person you know stands up and says i'm the one that did it and all that kind of stuff and we laugh about that and then he said i i wish you could come in and do my hair he wanted a perm for his hair because i was a hairdresser so he wanted a perm and he says i'm gonna ask if you can come in and do my hair for me you know That's so vain. Here he is in jail for murder, and he's worried about his hairdo. Yep. One of the guards' uh, wives, I guess, went and gave him a perm in jail, though. Tell me about the letter that Ken Bianchi asked you to write. You know, they read letters going in and out of the jail, correct? That's right. So think about this. Here I am. I'm getting a letter where he said, just read between the lines. There was one letter that said... There was a man standing alongside the road with a dog and how he had planned on meeting me down at this end of the road down below our house. Um, all these little things, it was, you know, just to make it so I could make up a story, I guess. So, of course, you know, let me think. Read between the lines. So, okay. I met you at this place down below our house and we saw a dog and a man or what. You know, so I wrote him that letter. He called and said he received the letter and told me he had thrown it away. And you know what? Maybe you should just go back and see your folks and see, you know, because it's kind of messy and all that kind of stuff. Then I got a call from his attorney, Dean Brett, and asked me to come and talk to him about this letter. So I'm thinking, here he is set me up to, now I'm seeing this. Wow, okay, so you've written this letter, which essentially provided Bianchi with an alibi. But then you regret it, and Bianchi tells you he destroyed it. But then you find out he hasn't destroyed it and actually gave it to his attorney? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Listen, hindsight is a brilliant thing, but from what you're saying to me, at the time you were young, impressionable, you believed he was innocent, and you immediately regretted your decision. I mean, when I think about everything that happened, because when I went home, who showed up at my dad's door? Two detectives from Bellingham in North Dakota. The detectives questioned Angela and were satisfied when she told them what she had also told Bianchi's attorney, that the letter had been fabricated. The fact was Kenneth Bianchi had no alibi because he had committed the murders. To me, he seems like a man desperate to lie his way out of trouble. And with no other option, he eventually pleads guilty to five of the Hillside murders and the two Bellingham murders and agrees to testify against his cousin. In return, he'd avoid the death penalty, have the option of parole, and an assurance that he'd be incarcerated in California rather than Washington's Walla Walla State Prison, which had a brutal reputation. But Bianchi hatches another plan. It's 1980, and a poet named Veronica Compton is besotted with him. The pair exchange disturbing letters and poems, and she meets with him in prison. In an attempt to, quote-unquote, prove his innocence, Compton tries to strangle a young woman to death, even planting semen on the victim to suggest rape. The logic being that it would show the hillside strangler was still out there and get Bianchi released. Thankfully, the attempt fails, and the victim survives. Compton is convicted of attempted murder, and Bianchi distances himself from her. In 
In the end, Bianchi is convicted of seven counts of murder, one count of sodomy, and one count of conspiracy to murder. He is given life with the option of parole. But what about the other Hillside Strangler? Prosecutors might have Bianchi put away, but Angelo Bono vehemently denies the killings, and aside from a few fibers linking a victim to a chair belonging to Bono, evidence is largely circumstantial. When Bono pleads not guilty, investigators know Bianchi's witness testimony will be the key to their case. But how do you make the word of a proven liar stand up in court? Bob Grogan was a detective with LAPD at the time who had led the Hillside case. We corroborated it. We had a pathological liar on the stand in Kenny Bianchi. God forbid you go to trial and you've got a pathological liar as a key witness. Holy shit, you don't look, feel like a much of a chance of winning this puppy, do you? But we corroborated every move and everything he said and every act he did in connection with people who came forward and gave us testimony. We made him truthful. That's what we had to do, make this asshole truthful. As the prosecution builds its case, Dr. Lois Lee is heavily involved in procuring witnesses. She speaks to me about her impression of Bono. Angela Bono, he's just a street crook. He was just a tough, rugged, skinny, mean guy who had the look of death in his eyes. And he had a mustache that he twisted and he had this grin that he used to try and intimidate people or these cold eyes where he'd try and stare them down. I knew the girls had all talked about that when they came out of after testifying. So when I went in, I just stared at him. He didn't scare me. I knew he was not getting out. They bring forward witness after witness and build and build until the case is watertight. Up to that date, no U.S. trial had lasted longer or been more expensive than that of Angelo Bono. Nobody wanted this killer back on the streets, and this is why it took years and cost millions. In 1983, the verdict finally comes in. The jury takes 19 days to find Angela Bono guilty. Nine counts of murder in the first degree, as well as rape and assault. Next is the sentencing. To the surprise of many, the jury deliberates for just one hour and votes to sentence Bono to life imprisonment without parole rather than the death penalty. Coming up, we follow the trial of Richard Ramirez. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Janice from Warner Brothers Discovery. If you're looking for a little extra peace of mind, you might want to check out Simply Safe. Simply Safe was kind enough to send me a home protection system to try out, and I couldn't believe how easy it was to set up. Not only that, I'm kind of a gear nerd, and I was really impressed by how clear the camera was. I also love the smart lock keyless entry because there are a lot of things to remember each day, and my keys aren't always on that list, okay? Not only that, Simply Safe offers a 60-day money-back guarantee, and U.S. News & World Report awarded them the best home security systems of 2024. Simply Safe has given me and many of our listeners real peace of mind, and I want you to have that too. Right now, get 20% off any new Simply Safe system with fast protect monitoring at simplysafe.com/mindofamonster. There's no safe like Simply Safe. After his dramatic capture, Investigators also link Ramirez to a series of sexual attacks on children, but they make the decision to spare the children the stress of being involved in a high-profile trial. Glenn Martin. This is one of those things that I completely and always will commend the prosecution team, you know, Salerno and Carrillo, and everybody involved in that prosecution opted not to charge the crimes associated with the children because it would have involved re-victimization. And even though Gil described in great detail one of the young victims identifying Ramirez in the live lineup with great certainty and with a massive level of articulation. From an investigator standpoint, you long for witnesses like that. And they made the decision not to put the kids on the stand and charge those crimes because, you know, they had enough. For me, that's one of the decisions that should be lauded publicly because that's another one of those things that takes a lot of fortitude to stand up and tell a prosecutor, no, I don't want those I don't want those charges filed or not to bring those charges to to a prosecutor because there's a level of a level of risk for children here. And just to say, hey, no, you're not going to see those cases. We're going to go with these 54 counts. And, and that's enough. There was ample evidence not only tying Ramirez to the murders and attacks, but linking them together. Not the least of which is the presence of the Avia shoe footprint at multiple sites, but also eyewitness testimony and proof he had pawned goods stolen from the victims' homes. Despite this, he pleads not guilty. So in 1986, his trial begins. If you're wondering what it's like to be part of this circus, veteran AP reporter Linda Deutsch was there and describes the scene. The media attention was huge because this had been such a mystery and it had covered such a wide area. I mean, he didn't just kill in one town. He was all over the place. And he also went to San Francisco, killed up there. And down here, he was in Orange County. He was in L.A. County. Can you describe what it was like to be in the courtroom during the Ramirez trial? Right. To begin with, I did feel when... Ramirez would enter the courtroom. I felt I was in the presence of evil 
particularly after hearing the testimony, it was so beyond anything that anyone had ever imagined before. It was so gruesome, so horrible. It was like being in the midst of a horror movie. Can you tell me how the Satanism played out in court? I think he was aware that there had been a lot of publicity about this, that the killings seemed to have the earmarks of Satanistic murders. And he thrived on it. I mean, the day he was arraigned, he walked into court, he held up his hand and he had drawn a pentagram on his hand and he shouted out, hail Satan in the courtroom. And from then on, he embraced the idea that he was a Satanist. Ramirez spoke to author Philip Carlo about the satanic symbols he used in court. The words you are about to hear are authentic and voiced by an actor. From what I know, certain symbols like pentagrams are supposed to protect you from the demons themselves. It was a statement that I was in alliance with the evil that is inherent in human nature. And that was who I was. And there were loved ones of the victims in the courtroom there. What was that like? It was horrific. (laughs) I mean, people were weeping, particularly on the day when there was a witness who testified about the most horrible of the killings, the woman whose eyes were gouged out and was raped in front of her child. Every possible horror came into play in that. That was the only time in my entire career that I saw reporters weeping in the courtroom. But then, right as juror deliberations are getting started, something happens that no one could have predicted. The thing that I remember the most was that the judge, who is a friend of mine, Judge Tynan, he was not then, but we became friends later. He had one of the most challenging decisions to make of any judge in any case I ever covered. A juror was murdered during the deliberations in the trial, and the murder was similar in its details to what was at issue in the Ramirez case. And at first everyone thought, oh my God, there's another killer out there. There's somebody copying him. It was a woman juror and it was horrible. Luckily it was solved within a day. It was found that her husband had killed her. It was a domestic violence thing. And the husband killed himself after. It was just horrific. That is dark. Things like that can have a bearing on juror proceedings, right? Yeah. And when the jurors were told about it, they were sobbing because this was the woman they had sat with in the jury room. And they had just lost one of their members. And Judge Tynan was faced with a huge decision. There was a motion for a mistrial. He did not want a mistrial because it had been such a long and horrific case and he felt that there was enough evidence now in that a decision could be made and he took a day to decide and he decided that he would go ahead that he would give the jurors time off to grieve and he would appoint an alternate to replace the murdered juror to me that was beyond anything i had ever seen in any case 
And it was very brave of him to make that decision because otherwise I am not sure what they would have done in a new trial. It certainly couldn't have done it with the same lawyers. It had been such a long slog. The jurors came back and they were questioned about whether they could go forward now. And they all admitted that they had been very traumatized by this, but they all agreed to go forward, including the new alternate. The verdict comes in. Ramirez is found guilty. 13 counts of murder, five counts of attempted murder, 11 counts of sexual assault, and 14 counts of burglary. He receives 19 death sentences. In the background of proceedings against Ramirez and Kenneth Bianchi and even Angela Bono, there was something else going on, something that presents a psychological minefield to experts like me. Women were falling in love with these felons. We've heard about Veronica Compton's infatuation with Bianchi, but Bono would marry in prison, and Richard Ramirez seemed to have an endless stream of female admirers. Linda Deutsch. The thing that that was the most shocking, maybe, of everything was that there were these young women who came to court who were in love with him. How do you fall in love with a monster like this? Richard Ramirez was good looking. He he had a classic face with the high cheekbones, dark curly hair. And you could see that a young woman would think he was good looking. But all you had to do was hear five minutes of testimony in the case. And you would know that this was a monster. And yet, after he went to prison, there were women that came to visit him. And there was one that married him. For his book, The Night Stalker, the author Philip Carlo asked Ramirez about the female attention he was receiving. The words you're about to hear are authentic and voiced by an actor. Women, when I was on the street, I was a loner. I stayed to myself. I really had no contact with people. It's only been since I've been in prison that I have really developed relationships with people, and mostly women. Though I now see that they have feelings, they have emotions. I mean, I always did, but I suppose I locked it out most of the time. I didn't think about other people's feelings and needs. Oh, they're drawn to me for all sorts of reasons. To get something out of me, to question me. Maybe they're intrigued by murder or murderers. Some are religious. Some are sympathetic. You know, they have sympathy for me. Some come just so they can tell their friends they came and talked to me. They've come to me from different walks of life, these women. It is such an interesting feature of modern serial killers and one that the media loves to glamorize and focus on. I want to delve into the psychology of it a little bit more, so I speak with forensic psychiatrist Dr. Ariana Nesbitt. Let's talk a little bit about the groupies serial killers often attract. Oh, yeah. What an interesting phenomenon. We definitely saw this in Richard Ramirez's case. So some with Ken Bianchi as well, but definitely Richard Ramirez. I mean, he was up there with Bundy in the number of groupies that he was attracting. It's a little hard to say exactly what's going on here. And it's probably kind of multifactorial and it probably depends a little bit on the exact women. So in part, we shouldn't be that surprised, right? We are a celebrity worshiping culture. And these serial killers were top headlines, not only in LA, not only in the US, but really around the world. I mean, these people were famous. So 
in some ways we shouldn't be surprised that you've got someone in the headlines. You better believe they're going to attract attention and people kind of want to get in on that spotlight. Some other guesses about why this phenomenon might be seen is that, I hate to say it, but these men, these serial sexual homicide offenders are really the ultimate alpha males. I mean, talk about an aggressive, kind of all-powerful male figure. And, you know, maybe there's some kind of a biological drive for some women to be attracted to someone who is just that dominant. Kind of a related issue is that another phenomenon that is not unusual are rape fantasies. And just to be clear, this does not mean that a lot of women actually want to be raped, but a lot of women do fantasize about rape. And maybe this is because rape is a way to be thinking about sex where all the guilt is removed, because we have a lot of rules in this culture about sex, um, especially for women. So. In rape, you think, well, I'm not even like playing a role in it, it's just happening to me. And maybe it's also a way to kind of flirt with danger safely because you know the potential perpetrator is actually behind bars and is not actually going to do with anything. It's also been pointed out that a lot of the women who do become groupies have histories of abuse and we unfortunately know that individuals who have been abused are often drawn to um, replaying that abuse and potentially are drawn to aggressors in the future. Um, but then maybe it's flipped a little bit, right? Because this person who would be abusing them is actually behind bars and in this scenario, they're actually more powerful because they're free where this person's behind bars. So there are all sorts of kind of psychological theories for why this is happening. I agree, it is so easy to be flippant about these women, but we cannot deny that it is a trend with these high-profile felons. We saw it with Bundy and even Manson, too. And as a woman and a scientist, it is really a hard thing to acknowledge, but we can't ignore the data. Female attention is not unusual. Yeah. One more final one to mention is that maybe a lot of these women are love avoidant and they're pursuing these relationships because it's a way to be in some kind of a relationship, so to speak, without the intimacy. So they don't actually have to get too close to this person. They know there's never going to be physical contact. They know that probably they're not actually going to end up together and so on and so forth. So again, an interesting phenomenon and it would be really interesting to learn more about this group in general. I want to find out how the Hillside Strangler and Night Stalker cases impacted those caught up in them. Angela Luke was just a young woman when Bianchi entered her life in Bellingham. It's hard for me to imagine you come out of that experience unscathed. I want to believe that there's good in everybody. You know, I'm a bail bond agent. (laughs) I've been doing this for 30 years. I get people out of jail. I believe it's my calling because I... The manipulation, it doesn't work anymore. There are kings and queens in there of manipulation. And I I think I finally figured that out and used my experiences from before to fine tune, I guess. I love my job. I love it. And I deal with these kind of people every day. And maybe that's what I was supposed to do. Maybe that was my training period. (laughs) Dr. Lois Lee was a young academic at the time of the Hillside murders and was so affected by the prevalence of children caught up in sex work that she set up a project to help them. It's called Children of the Night. This case changed my life, and I opened my home and took in these children who were prostituting, whose parents did not want them, whose social workers would not put in foster homes because they found them repugnant, and prostitution was illegal, and judges who would not put them in treatment programs because they didn't want to spend taxpayers' money 
because the children were not hurting taxpayers, they were only hurting themselves. These children really had no one. We put a lot of people in jail and rescued thousands of kids. To date, it's been over 11,000 kids and it's been 42 years. And so Children of the Night was born as a result of what I learned in the Hillside Strangler. It changed my life. Glenn Martin was an LAPD police officer during the time of the Night Stalker murders. How did this case affect you, both as a man and a cop? You know, it's interesting to look at this because, uh, you know, and and I'm going to look at it in a personal perspective rather than a professional one. I was a little kid when all the headlines were the Manson family. And then I was just out of high school when the Hillside Strangler stuff starts. Now I'm in law enforcement. It just seems like we just fully recover from one serial killer and we got another one going on. And it seemed like with each one, the sense of of insecurity, of not being safe in your own, own residence. Each one of those, uh, there was a progression of the lack of, of a feeling of safety, a feeling of security in your homes. It just continued to escalate. And this fortunately turned out to be the pinnacle and we've remained safer than, than we were during that stretch. We haven't had to have this escalation of worry that we had during that 69 to 85 period. I'm extremely thankful for that. The connections of people we know and people that were affected specifically by, by Hillside Strangler and, and, and Night Stalker. It's just the world collapses in around you when, you when you realize just how close you were to this, both personally and professionally. What Glenn says certainly rings true for me. The experiences of these cases, particularly knowing someone attacked by the Night Stalker at such a young age, definitely influenced my own path to studying neuroscience and neurocriminology. For Betty Gambali, the experience is deeply personal. Her beloved niece, Kimberly Martin, was murdered by Kenneth Bianchi and Angela Bono. What do you think she would have been doing now? She would have had uh, grandchildren, (laughs) I'm sure. Yeah, of course she would have. She would have had some wonderful little campers running around with Grammy teaching them adventures in life. Yeah, climbing trees, climbing mountains, laying up on the top of the mountain and just looking up at the, the sky and making... You know, what is that? I see I see a unicorn. Nope, that's an angel. How do you keep her memory alive? She had the brightest, bluest eyes you ever saw. And I saw on her headstone, I had put all things bright and beautiful. Lord God has made them all. California's intoxicating combination of sun, sex, glamour, and riches has always been a magnet to those seeking escape. In Los Angeles, that facade masked a dark, dangerous place that sucked in the vulnerable. It is within this unique world that the Hillside Stranglers and the Night Stalker emerged. They were smart enough to exploit the flaws in LA's fractured policing system, passing silently from one jurisdiction to another, leaving little behind except blood, bodies, and families destroyed forever. In 2009, there was a final twist in the dark tale of the Night Stalker, when DNA evidence linked Ramirez to the 1984 murder of a nine-year-old child. Richard Ramirez spent over 23 years on death row before dying of a blood cancer in 2013 at age 53. Angelo Bono died of a heart attack in 2002 at age 62. As of 2022, Kenneth Bianchi is still alive. He is 70 years old and is housed at Washington State Penitentiary in Walla Walla. He is next eligible to apply for parole in 2025. 
Mind of a Monster, The Hillside Strangler, and The Night Stalker is produced by Arrow Media for ID. The executive producer for ID is Jessica Lowther. Arrow Media's producer is Rebecca Radil. Audio engineering by Mahoney Audio Post. Our production managers are Donna Higgins and Alexandra Kelly. Our production coordinator is Jody Tanner-Wild. And our researchers are Claudia Slowick and Isabel Wilson. Arrow Media's executive producer is John Owens. Excerpts have been used from Philip Carlo's book, The Night Stalker. Additional narration by Mark Chavez. I'm your host, Dr. Michelle Ward. You can follow our show wherever you get your podcasts, and we'd love it if you could take a second to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Hey, it's Janice from Warner Brothers Discovery. If you're looking for a little extra peace of mind, you might want to check out Simply Safe. Simply Safe was kind enough to send me a home protection system to try out, and I couldn't believe how easy it was to set up. Not only that, I'm kind of a gear nerd, and I was really impressed by how clear the camera was. I also love the smart lock keyless entry because there are a lot of things to remember each day, and my keys aren't always on that list, okay? Not only that, Simply Safe offers a 60 day money back guarantee, and U.S. News and World Report awarded them the best home security systems of 2024. Simply Safe has given me and many of our listeners real peace of mind, and I want you to have that too. Right now, get 20% off any new Simply Safe system with fast protect monitoring at simplysafe.com/slash mind of a monster. There's no safe like Simply Safe. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.